This is So What Does Judaism Say About? We discuss all kinds of interesting topics and what Judaism has to say about them. I remember Rick Fox with me as always is the jolly Rabbi Mayor Beer. <laughs> Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. That's right. And now nothing is jollier than talking about death. I think today we should, <laughs> we should add, what does Judaism say about the angel of death and his role in a person's life? The angel of death. Let's, let's bring him up. I know this because of this wacky Gemara, this wacky piece of Talmud, hey, that you presented me today, which I think is, is really fascinating, and, and I, I think I want to read it and see what, has, what we can do with it. I'm all ears. Okay. Are you ready for this, Mr. Hang, Jolly? Hanging on. Okay, here we go. This is, the, this is a piece from the, from, from the Gemara in Sukkah, in tractate about Sukkah, in the chapter 5 on page 53. Okay? It says like this. There were two Kuthians who attended to King Solomon. Now, Rashi, the commentator, tells us that these Kuthians is really code for they're like beautiful people, well, you know, beautiful people of some kind. They, they attended to King, they were, his, they were his servants. Okay? And they were scribes, they were, they were the sons of, of scribes to King Solomon. Okay? And one day, King Solomon saw that the angel of death was downcast. So King Solomon said to the angel of death, who was downcast, why are you downcast? The angel of death answered King Solomon and said, because these two Kuthians who sit here are demanded of me by heaven, and I have not been able to take them. Upon hearing this, King Solomon, hoping to arrange their escape from death, handed them over to demons and sent them to the town of Luz. But when these two Kuthians reached the gates of the town of Luz, the angel of death was waiting for them, and they died before entering the city. The following day, King Solomon saw the angel of death was happy. So King Solomon said to him, Why are you, the angel of death, happy? And the angel of death said to him, To the very place where they were demanded of me, there did you send them. And immediately King Solomon opened his mouth and said, A person's feet are his guarantors. To where he is summoned, there they will lead him. That sounds like the easiest Gemara to interpret ever. Ever. In the history of Gemara interpretation. Absolutely. Okay, so King Solomon has these two scribes, two beautiful scribes. people. Beautiful people. Who... Beautiful people. <laughs> in a everyday conversation, he meets the angel of death at a bar. Right. Or I don't know where you usually meet the angel Sees of death. Sees him. He's downcast. Sends them away to Luz. To, by way of demons. By way of demons. By the yeah. way. Emphasize the demons. Which are, it's the only way to fly. <laughs> First class, at least. Exactly. And they end up going to Luz and they die in Luz. Yeah. So for basic interpretation, what is Yerushalayim? What is Jerusalem? What is Luz? What is this other city of Luz? I think that would be the first place to start in interpreting this. Ah, passage. so we need to know that King Solomon, is his throne is in Jerusalem. So that's where they currently are. Jerusalem is the center of the world. It's the center of Israel. Center That's where the, of the temple universe. is. The temple is there. It's a place where people are bringing sacrifices. The Sanhedrin is there. The, the and they're Sofrim. Sofrim is a, is a euphemism for scholars. So scribes. Are they in the Sanhedrin? They didn't know. Oh, I don't know what their position was. But, but we've got scholarly people there. The temple, service, Torah learning. Sanhedrin's right there. The high court. Everything is sort of pumping out of this place with service of God, so to speak. And he sends them to Luz as a means of escaping. So Luz must represent something mm -hmm. which should help them extend their lifespan, right? Because they're, they're we're going to understand this right away as not being a conversation between <laughs> between some specter-like figure in a black hood. King Solomon somehow senses these people, their life, their mission is 
seemingly coming to a close. Maybe they had attained a certain maximum ability. They'd maximized their ability or, are these, or whatever Are it these is. righteous people? Presumably. What does the beautiful people mean? Are they good looking? What does this mean? So if we're going to interpret this, um, a sofer is a scribe. Sphere means to count. So one of the reasons why sofer are, is a euphemism, scribes for scholars, is because a scholar can put things into order, can organize material. If you're going to understand information well, right. you have to know how to categorize it. You have to know how to kind of put everything into, into, into the chapter it belongs in. Not just random bits of right. information, Google search. It needs to be right. put into an order. So this denotes right. a high level of scholastic ability. Right. They're also beautiful in the sense of, presumably, the connection to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place of prayer. That's where the temple is. And he sends them to Luz, somehow traveling, metaphorically, to whatever Luz represents, is going to be a way for them to extend their lifespan. He's going to take them beyond their starting point they're given as being scholars and people of, of worship, of service to God, to a new place, Luz. What's Luz? A city. It's a city. Okay, so for Luz, we're going to go to the Chumash. We're going to, we're going to go to the language of the Torah. The Torah says when Yaakov, when Jacob left his left Israel to go to um, to go to Lavan to his yeah. father to his future father-in-law yeah he leaves um, he travels and in the city of Luz he has a vision that vision is the vision of the ladder and that somehow is an indication discussion for another time of how Jacob is going to you know mark this new period in his life and the Torah writes that Vayikra Shem Hamakamahu, Beis El, Jacob, Yaakov called the place the house of God. Vulam, however, Luz, Shem Yerushona. It was first called the city of Luz. Oh, really? Interesting. So he calls Luz the house of God. And in, going back two verses earlier, Jacob says, when he woke up, he was in awe of the vision that he had seen. Vayira, uh, and he was he was in awe. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God. He calls it Basel. This is the gateway to heaven. And this is not the place for the temple. This is a different location. So there, there are this a is, number of interpretations. Is, yeah, Rashi's it. interpretation is that Jacob actually did not have the vision in Jerusalem. Yeah. Nachmanides interprets it that way. This is a, a you know, because how could it be if he's then tra- right. if it's traveling is not a different place? Rashi gives a complicated series of interpretations how the connection to the maybe it moved exactly to the to the area of the temple is connected to this. Rashi definitively says that Jacob had this vision in Luz in Basel, the house of God. Oh. Which is that still a city in Israel? If I look on a map, is there a place called Beth? Beitel? I, I think there is such a city. I don't know. Definitely. I don't know. His, this is not Beth Shalom from Northeast Philadelphia, is it? This is not one of the this is different This places. is not Northeast Philadelphia. Oh, okay, no, okay, no, good, no. Good. This place. is in the, uh, okay. the Middle East. Got it. Look, I think Pennsylvania is kind of the Middle East of this country. Like Middle East. Yeah, maybe. I mean, not as, as sandy as you'd expect something called the Middle East, but yeah, possibly. There's a Bethlehem here. There's all kinds of stuff, actually. But back to you. So what is this significance of Jacob having this super important vision in this city? The city Luz, which he calls the house of God, the gateway to heaven. So I'll give you an interpretation from the Nitziv. We like to quote the Nitziv. We do. This is a this is a very powerful interpretation. The And as you mentioned, I don't want to get too sidetracked by this. There's a connection to this vision happening 
in the temple as well. Right. Rashi seems Rashi <clears throat> suggests that the temple somehow moved, whether physically or spiritually, to that area as well. There's some combination between the temple and the city, this geographic location of Luz. Um, the Talmud in Tractate Psachim, page 88, says that the temple was called Har, the mountain, by Avraham. It was called Sadeh, field, by, Yitzh- by, Yitzhak. by Yitzhak. And it was called Bias, house, by Yaakov, by Jacob. The Nitziv interprets this as the Har is like this pinnacle, Torah study, the intellect. And then there's Sadeh, there's the field. That is... Work. The, that's work, that's where you earn a livelihood. That's where you farm for food. Avoda, you have to work. You exactly. To, but it's the same place. Right. And Torah study is this har, is this pinnacle, it's like, you know, this kind of thing in the distance for a lot of people. There's the sada, more relatable, and livelihood is often connected to prayer. It's, it's Prayer is the way to connect the, the most involving part of the human experience with God. Right. So livelihood is, is up there, you know, on the, on the, you know, direct ways that people, you know, express themselves in their prayer. And then we have bias. We have house. House is something which is comfortable. It's comfortable, Protect, social. Protects, protects you. It's, it's your everyday life. That, the Nitziv says, is Yaakov is leaving Israel. He's about to go down to... He's about to go to, to Aram, modern-day Syria, and he's about to start interacting with people that are going to be difficult for him to interact with. In a sense, is going into exile. Yaakov is emphasizing the most important part, I should say the most universal part, not necessarily the most important, I like to correct right. myself, the most universal part of being Jewish, which is chesed, kindness. That is a shar. It's not a doorway, it's a gateway. It's a wide open. It's very accessible for people. Be- being kind. I mean, this is not something people argue with. People love the kind aspect right. of Judaism. You know, I remember growing up, we had mitzvah day. Now, mitzvah doesn't mean kind, good deed, but that's how it's understood because it's so easily connectable. And we used to volunteer at all the... Nursing homes and stuff like that on a mitzvah day, a kind thing. Now that's that's a beautiful thing. It's a huge part of Judaism, and that's that's a special part, right? Yeah. And it is the most accessible part of Judaism. Yeah. You don't need an education for it. Right. You just kind of need a moral compass within yourself. Yeah. So Yaakov is emphasizing this because he is metaphorically leaving the place of study he had studied for you know for for presumably most of his life under his father Yitzchak. He had studied at, at whatever. They're called yeshivas, whatever whatever form they look like, with Shem and Aver, two great scholars of his era. He had completed a, a large amount of study, and now he's, so to speak, leaving that sheltered environment. So he's emphasizing this character trait of chesed. Chesed is the place which is almost universally accessible. It's the gateway. It's the house. It's not the field, the livelihood. It's not the har, that kind of pinnacle of achievement, the scholar who really says, you know, the insight has the perspective from being on high. And Yaakov is, is focusing on this, and this is the way, and the Nitziv relates to this is, this is a part of our religious experience which we share with non-Jews. So precisely because of that, when, when Jews are surrounded by non-Jewish you know, people, non-Jewish cultures, it's something that we can like, kind of overlap and, yeah. and really interact yeah. in a healthy way and with And everyone them. agrees. It's... Right, we, we don't necessarily worship in the, same, in the same buildings or even follow the same form of worship. We don't study the same subjects or the same texts, but we can connect with this. So Luzus represents this idea. Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is more a place of prayer, a place of introspection, Worship. a place of self-development. It's yeah. a different part of the religious experience. No, is that is that hinted to in the name? Does the name mean anything? Luz means a uh, an almond or a hazelnut. An almond, a nut, like a like a something, an edible thing. 
What, what's an almond? An almond. An almond. An almond. Oh, an almond. Sorry. Pardon. An almond. <laughs> I really didn't have, sorry. <laughs> or a hazelnut. Yeah, I, I, different Got versions it. of that. It's one of those words you only ever read, I understand. Yeah. Now, nuts are are something alluded to later on in the Torah. Right. Um, in Parshas Korach is something which, you know, the, the blossoms of nuts are, are very beautiful. Um, you could argue, perhaps, nuts are kind of very protected fruit mm. it's kind of the, the inner thing they also that, last a really long time yeah very 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 shelf stable, very shelf stable. Yeah. Okay, it, it's definitely possible that these are all part of that so what's going on here yeah so so how does this work out with this story with king solomon and does he know this already and who i, I we got i want to know who these demons were by the way <laughs> you <laughs> better talk about kind of figure out the demons yes, yes. <laughs> by way of demons first class I, that has to be solved so i'm gonna share a couple thoughts from dessler mix mix around a couple other thoughts in this but just to to give a concise kind of overview or interpretation of this piece of the Talmud, which you read, King Solomon recognizes that somehow these two individuals, these two scribes from Jerusalem, are nearing the end of their achievement. So that means they're close to death. A human being is given a certain amount of time to accomplish, and these people are kind of nearing their natural spiritual lifespan, which presumably would result in death. And yet he notices that, quote-unquote, the angel of death is upset about this, which he mistakenly interprets to mean that the angel of death is upset about having to take them away from living because there's something else they can do. So he sends them by way of demons. Demons represent what we'll call a less wholesome spiritual place to do chesed. Leave the sheltered environment where they had studied and developed spiritually Go out in the world and be more, the, more involved in chesed. And perhaps from that new part of their spiritual journey or spiritual life, they'll be able to extend their pr- productivity and merit more life. Why does King Solomon think to do that via the demons? So the demons represent kind of the, the, the scaling back some of your spiritual, you know, wholesomeness. Because uh. often if you're going to be involved in chesed, you're going to be in some tricky places. You might be in some tricky places. Got it. And Luz is specifically not Jerusalem. Right. It's, you know, it's away from that center of spirituality. It, it has these connotations of the exile. It is in Israel. So he was sending them there in order to get them to work on a different aspect of their life, hoping to increase their life, thinking that the angel of death was sad because why? Really, he was sad because he wasn't able to take them because they were doing great stuff. But he gets this wrong? Well, I don't know that this was an actual conversation with an angel of death. Oh, interesting. This might be a parable? Well, it's not a parable, but it's a metaphor for an insight that Shlomo had. Interesting. In which Shlomo thinks that we can extend like the spiritual activity of these people by sending them out. And they actually the opposite happens. The fact that they leave the environment is really, now he understands it, that the angel of death is sad, quote unquote, because they're in a protected environment and going to this environment was actually detrimental to them. So had he kept them there, it would have been fine, and this idea of like you trying to somehow play games with, you know, what humans should and should not be doing, it sometimes is, you're actually just... It's futile. Yeah. Resistance is futile. <laughs> but but what of this? So he sends them to this place of chesed, and they actually fall. Yeah. That actually results in them leading that results in their spiritual i wouldn't say downfall but hitting up like a like a brick wall so to speak the fact that they're you know in in, you know out of their protected environment is not beneficial to them 
So how do we reconcile with this idea with that which we just expressed, that Yaakov specifically stopped at this place because this place is the most universal and most accessible part of Judaism? You would think that, yes, this might be the broadest part of Judaism. There's a, I'll, I'll just reinforce this question, there's a teaching from the Vilna Gon. The verse in Shir Hashirim, uh, in Song of Songs, says, Yafat, uh, right, this is in the sixth chapter of Song of, of, Song of Songs, Yafat Rayasi, you are beautiful, my beloved, Kisirza, that's a name, but also means something, which we'll explain in a second. Navak Yushalayim, as, as pretty as Jerusalem. Ayuma Kanigdalos, as, as awesome as, as the, those that carry flags or banners. Sirza is referred to as, the, as a reference to the capital of the northern half of the kingdom of Israel. At a certain point in Israel, the kingdom splits into two. The northern half is noted for not being particularly observant, but for being very involved in kindness. Friendly. Kind. Correct. A lot of gemilas chasadim, a lot of kindness, even when they were, you know, they were failing in their, you know, kind of ritualistic, the, the ritualistic part of their religious practices, they had a certain level of protection because they were kind people. Next is Yerushalayim, is Jerusalem, which represents prayer, it represents you know, self-development, Lastly, we have the flags. The flags represent the period of time when the Jewish people were in the desert. They had flags. This is found in the Chumash. And the most notable part of the spirituality of the desert generation was Torah study. The first on the list is kindness. The Vilna Gon says that the, in the times of the Messiah, the first people that are going to be, so to speak, redeemed or going to kind of return to whatever is the wonderfulness of the Messianic era is the people that excel in kindness. It's the basic building block of Judaism. So this is kind of reinforcing our question that why is Shlomo, who seems to be aware of the the, the power of of Kamil's chasadim of kindness and and the spiritual you know hierarchy of what's going on here why 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 is this actually resulting in a negative effect on these two quote unquote scribes or scholars and not a positive one? So I think the answer to that and you'll tell me if you if you this is me talking you can share you know your perspective on this is that the fact that something is the most universal and accessible and basic does not mean that those that are capable of achieving scholastic achievements, those that are capable of deep inner development, should say we're going to remain at that baseline universal constant. If you're capable of being a scholar and providing profound insight and profound wisdom, and you say, like, you know, insight is nice, wisdom is nice, but I would prefer to be more of a universalist. You really have to understand your calling and how that unique skill that you bring to society can be effective. That's very interesting. Here, here's what I was thinking, and it's very different, but, but related. The thing that, that captured me about this piece of Talmud was that they attended to King Solomon. They worked for him. They made his life better. He was the king. He represented, he almost, he, a king represents all of the Jews. He is the one that unites everything, and they served him. And he's setting them out to do kindness, quote unquote, but perhaps his own, King Solomon's own family or own life or own kingdom suffered from sending out people who were productive and helpful to him. Meaning, if I have a house and I have my own little kingdom here, which I do, my own little house, and I think, oh, I'll go out and I'll be kind and I'll go help people outside of my house. Forget about your kid's homework. And forget about my kid's homework. Forget that my wife needs me. Forget that I'm very needed and very purposeful right here. 
that would be the down. That would be my downfall. There's no question about it. We, we it's very easy to volunteer and do all these wonderful things that are outside the home that bring all kinds of fan. Maybe even get in the paper because you ran a soup kitchen, but your kids are suffering. That's not really kindness. And perhaps King Solomon, and I, I mean no disrespect to the wisest of all men, maybe he could have found something productive for them to do right there to also to extend them that would have been that would have been in the realm of kindness, but closer to what their actual purpose was at the time, which was attending to the kingdom. Right. You, li- if, you like that? I do. If I would merge our two thoughts together, please. There's an expression found Torah's Chesed. Torah can be a form of kindness. If you're a scholar and you're you're not out there in you know in the soup kitchens and the front lines you know with the homeless people, but you are enhancing people's life with your knowledge and wisdom. That itself is a form of chesed. Absolutely. And maybe going to we'll call universal type chesed, universal kindness, is not the chesed you should be doing. Right. And you should be staying, you know, in the house of study, in the lecture hall, because you are providing a service for humanity. The insight you provide for them is itself a form of chesed. And that's what Rav Yisrael said. He said, you want to change the world, change yourself and change your relationships you have at home and things will ultimately, you know, it's like trickle down spirituality. It will make its way out into the world and affect that positively also. Right. So right. Even, even within, you know, the framework of being a Baal Chesed, of being a kind person, of being a sensitive person, you know, a person really has to know the most appropriate way for him to go about doing that. But it changes the world. Like what Chaim Velazhin says in, in Nefesh HaChaim, he's, it, what you, if you do the right thing, your actual purpose, it will it will affect the highest realms and, and create blessing for the entire world, exactly what King Solomon was trying to do. I, I really appreciate this conversation because, you know, I was thinking a half hour ago that it might be time for me to move to Africa and join the Peace Corps. Has and this I'm, convinced you that I, this is where you need to be? It could be I need to just stay at home. That, that's, that's possible. Right? I, don't, I think they would miss you. They Penn might, students yeah. would miss you. An amazing piece of art. What to discuss, what to hear. But one thing is clear. We need to learn more Talmud. We need to develop ourselves. We need to realize our own missions in life and recognize that, you know, we can do great things in that way.